Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Welcome, friends, to the Money and Meaning Show. I'm so pleased that you decided to join us today. It's um, my pleasure to be your guide as we have conversations around uh, meaning and purpose and how do we... uh, uncover our calling, but also how do we build solid wealth management strategies so that we can create the the freedom and the capacity to go do what we feel called to do, what we feel is our purpose and what really matters most. And uh, last month, we had Jake DeKinder on from Dimensional Fund Advisors, and we had so much we wanted to talk about. Uh, Jake has agreed to come back for July. So thank you, Jake, for joining us. Let me just reintroduce Jake, but first of all, let me also encourage you to go back and listen to the June show if you didn't have an opportunity to listen to it. We had a really good conversation about some of the things that investors are asking today. And, um, you know, Jake is um, Jake is a great communicator and has some really useful uh, insights there. And, and well, he should. I mean, he's the director of client communications for Dimensional Fund Advisors, one of the leading uh, investment firms in the United States, uh, particularly around evidence-based investing and how to build portfolios using academic research. And it's well-grounded. They've been doing it for over 40 years now. Um, and you can you can learn a lot more about Dimensional uh, as well at, at Dimensional Fund Advisors' uh, website. But at any rate, Jake uh, works with clients, and his clients are advisors primarily, but I, I think he probably does presentations for end investors as well from time to time, like he's doing today. Uh, but he helps firms like ours and other advisors uh, with messaging and content and trying to understand and have clarity on uh, what the strategy is doing and where they're trying to do and how they fit into clients' financial plans. So Jake's got a great uh, deal of research of, uh, of experience here. He's a CFA charter holder, uh, received his uh, graduate degree at the Business School of the University of Texas, and got his BBA right here at Emory University. So welcome again, Jake DeKinder, for joining us for the Money and Meaning Show. Jeff, it's great to be uh, back on the show and appreciate the opportunity to uh, do it again. Yeah, it, it, it's a great privilege. So thanks thanks again uh, for being here. Um, you know, last last month we talked a little bit about uh, some of the questions investors are asking. And I thought since I, I, I got you on the phone uh, or on the, on the show, it would be really good just to kind of do a primer and just kind of revisit again the whole idea around what we describe as evidence-based investing, this academic, systematic, some may call it a rules-based approach to building wealth. Um, and so let me, let me just ask you, if you just don't mind giving me just sort of a big, the way dimensional views what you guys do in terms of building portfolios. So just a very high level, what does dimensional do that's different than a typical investment firm? Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good place to start. I mean, I guess at, at the highest level, as I always say, you sort of have two different camps that you fall into. Uh, either you think that... Uh, markets, and when I say markets, the stock market, the bond market, they work pretty well. They provide us with a wealth of information, a wealth of data, research, evidence, all of those things. And we can use that evidence to understand why some stocks do better than others. We can use that evidence to try to structure portfolios to capture the returns that are out there in the market. Or you go to the other side. And the other side is simply 
that markets don't work, that markets are broken, that stocks are mispriced some way. And oh, by the way, I can consistently outguess the market, or I can consistently identify which stocks are overvalued and which stocks are undervalued, that somehow I have information, I have an opinion, I have this, and it's more powerful than everybody else that's out there. Um, and, and, you know, look, if you look at the data of what I'll say the industry was built on, which is camp two, which is pick stocks, time markets, make predictions about interest rates, do all of those. The evidence is not very strong that that works out very well. And this is, by the way, this first research on this was done in the 60s, stuff was done in the 80s. We at Dimensional do this stuff all of the time. And it just, it just doesn't work out well for investors. One, it's, it's hard to do, right? You're basically right. making about the future and we don't know. Right. Costs are incredibly high, tax inefficient investments, all of these things. Right. So, you know, dimensional, we're definitely in camp one, which is there's decades worth of research that's been done on stocks and bonds. There's decades worth of research that's been done to explain why some groups of stocks do better than others. And then dimensional, we got 40 years of experience of actually going out and capturing returns in live portfolios, taking that research, that information, that data, and applying it to portfolios, to funds, to say, hey, capture the returns, keep your costs down, design tax-efficient investments. And if you do that, you kind of set investors up to have a much better experience than what the industry has been built on forever. Right. Yeah. And last night, show we talked a little bit about controlling those things that you can control. And I think that's relevant here because- you know, we can't control and we can't, in advance, know who the winning active managers are, the, the, camp, the camp two group are in advance. And so you've just, you've created a whole new level of uncertainty to, to our clients' financial plans. And so using the evidence, we believe, increases the probability of success. So um, thank, thank you for, for uh, talking a little bit about um, about dimensionalist view on, on evidence-based investing and, and the academic and the academic research. I know you mentioned that you played tennis in college, played collegiate tennis. And That's I, right. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, I know one of the first books I ever wrote, uh, read about the whole idea of trusting markets was the winner's, the, the loser's game by Charles Ellis, and he uses the analogy around tennis players saying, you know, look, the idea here, uh, you know, you, you're playing amateur tennis, and so your goal here is not to lose. It, it, you don't have to hit winners, but you've got to make sure that you're in the game and you capture these premiums. You know, you capture these premiums. Um, and, and the reason these active managers don't beat the market or beat or, or win consistently is they're all great. They're all really smart. And so they're all fought Roger Federer. You know, they're all competing against Roger Federer. So at any rate, thanks, thanks for sharing all of that. So, um, you know, there's uh, people ask me from time to time about dimensional versus some of the other investment managers that do systematic evidence-based investing in some flavor. And I just always come back to the implementation. And I think what you said, this is not, this is not a secret. This research is not a secret. It's how you apply the research in a systematic way that I think you guys stand out more than more than more than many. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the evolution of the research. Are there some things that you guys have discovered in recent years that uh, have made you change any of the things that you're doing as, as, as you apply and try to capture these uh, market premiums or these value premiums or small cap premiums or so forth? Uh, and then secondly, 
Uh, is the world different where we should be thinking different? Because I know, you know, there's a lot of conversation about intangibles and service economy versus brick and mortar economy. So again, that's a big question, Jake. So I'm just going to turn you on and let you give me some thoughts. Yeah. So the first question there of, you know, are we continuing to do the research? 100%. I mean, when we, so Fern was founded in 1981, uh, great research coming out of the University of Chicago. You know, it would be odd if we sort of said, hey, there's this great research, and then we didn't do anything for the next 40 years. So we are constantly doing research. Uh, we're constantly evaluating academic papers. We're constantly writing our own academic papers. We're constantly answering client questions about, oh, hey, I heard this from another manager, or I read this article, or whatever. And we're, we're testing our own assumptions. And I think you have to do that if you're intellectually honest, you have to constantly say, is there something else out there that we just haven't seen? Or did someone look at it from a different angle where you say, you know what, that's a really good way to analyze that. So we're doing that all the time, but we don't jump on the next shiny object of the day. We're very, very rigorous of, it. look, we're managing clients' money and that's, that's sending people to college. That's people's retirement. I mean, we take this responsibility incredibly seriously so we hold the research to such a high standard before we make adjustments to how we manage money. Now, over 40 years, there's been new research that's come out, and we've constantly made little improvements to what we do. But a lot of those improvements, I'll say, are on the implementation side, meaning the way that we trade stocks is maybe a little bit different because technology evolves and the way that we interact with brokers and different people around the world evolves, right? Ch stuff changes in the bond market. So we make tweaks there, but our philosophy, our view of, Hey, markets do a great job of incorporating information. We can't outguess market prices. Let's just use research. Let's use data. Let's be real smart about how we implement. That's been consistent since day one. Now let's get to the second part of your question, which is, and we get this one all the time, which is, hey, it's, it's different now. Something's right, changed. Right. The way one says it's different now, my immediate response is, yeah, it's different. It's always different. The world's dynamic. The world's changing. You tell me it's different. I'm going to be like, yep, it's different. But has something fundamentally changed about some groups of stocks should do better than other groups of stocks? No, I, I think that relationship's got a whole, I mean, it would be weird if you said, okay, listen, there's 3,000 stocks in the U.S., and every single one of them is going to have the same return going forward. Right. It would, that would be an odd state of the world. Right. It wouldn't that way. So no, nothing's really changed in terms of there's going to be differences in returns. And I think sometimes when that question pops up, it relates to, I had an expectation of some stocks were going to do better than others, or some parts of the market were going to do better. And they didn't over some period of time. Good examples, value stocks recently. You know, people want to ask about value stocks and, oh, is the value premium dead? Have things changed? Look, when I get that question, when value stocks don't do better than growth stocks, I actually don't think that something's broken. I think markets are working exactly the way they should. Because if you want to make the argument to me that value stocks should do better than growth stocks over some period of time, then it would be odd if I said, okay, I know value stocks are going to do better than growth stocks. And I know for certain over every three, five, seven year period, they're going to do better. There'd be no uncertainty associated right. with that. Why would you get a higher return? There's got to be some uncertainty associated with it. So what I mean is if I see value stocks underperform growth stocks, I actually think that's exactly the way it should work. If over the long term they're going to have higher returns, I got to bear some uncertainty. 
uncertainty manifests itself in underperformance sometimes. Yeah, there is no free lunch in the markets. There's no free lunch. I mean, that's, and I'll give you a data point here. So 1965 to 1981, T-bills beat the S&P 500. 17 years, beginning of 65 to the end of 81, 17 years, T-bills beat the S&P 500. I find it hard to believe that people think that stocks are going to do worse than T-bills going forward. It's just the way that it shook out in the data. So you have to be very careful changing up what you're doing just because you hit a period of time where your realized returns don't conform to your expectations. Right. Well, and that and that also speaks to something that we talked in the last show about diversification. And I know as the, as the research has evolved over this 40-year period or so, um, there are been, you know, other other factors or dimensions that have been identified and having a multi-factor approach where there aren't, where you're not all just in value or all just in small or all just in the most profitable um, or all in just momentum, if you believe the momentum factor, as an example. Um, so having a multi-dimensional multi uh, you know, approach or a multi-factor approach can be helpful in those seasons when one premium is not presenting itself. Any thoughts on that or anything to add to that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, yeah. you know, the basic diversification argument, you right. know, value stocks do well, small may not do well, high profitability may not do well, and vice versa. And by the way, you know, people talk about, oh, value stocks aren't doing well. One of the things I'm like, what part of the world are you talking about? You know, are you talking about U.S. value right. stocks? Talking about value stocks in Europe, Australian value stocks, Japanese, because those things move around. So not only do you have, you got value stocks, small cap stocks, high profitability, momentum, and talking about here in the U.S., now expand that out to 40 plus countries globally. And that's what you want. When some of the things aren't doing well, guess what? Some of the other things are going to do well. Basic premise of diversification. Right. Yeah, it's no different. Yeah. So, you know, last show, we talked a little bit about narratives. And I think there's another narrative that's going on right now about rising taxes. Taxes got to go up. Taxes got to go up. Taxes got to go up. And, you know, I mean, if you look at the size of our government obligations, I, I mean, I think that's a reasonable guess whether I would, you know, bet my whole financial future on a guess. Uh, I don't think I would. Um, but clearly, as we manage client funds, uh, we know that if an important objective is to, we talk about controlling the things you can control. We can control taxes a lot more than we can, and we have no control over markets. But we have limited control over tax liability. Um, so, and cost. You know, we have some limited control over cost. So taxes and cost are two inputs that can be a drag on investor results. So we focus a lot more on how do we become more tax efficient and how do we keep uh, implementation costs as low as possible and still capture these premiums. Um, so tell me a little bit about dimensional thoughts on tax efficiency and cost. Uh, and are there anything you guys are doing different on that front than you've done in the past? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a great point. It's a great framework there, right? I mean, what's, what can you control and what can you control? Let's start with taxes. I have no control over tax rates. I, I mean, I can vote, but beyond that, I got, I got no control over tax rates, but I can be very smart about the tax efficiency of my portfolio. Last show, we talked about inflation. I have no control over inflation, but I can control how I asset allocation and types of investments that I'm in. You know, the tax efficiency front, we take it really seriously because, I mean, that's ultimately for a taxable investor, that's going to eat into their returns. So we make sure that we have you know reasonably low turnover in the funds, meaning we don't want to like do too much buying and selling that's not going to add value and it kicks off a, a lot of gains there. Um, but then we can take it a step further in certain types of funds uh, that historically were tax managed uh, vehicles or had a tax overlay on top of it. 
But now there's even more tools that are available to you uh, in the form of ETFs. And ETFs have been around for a while, but there's been some recent rule changes uh, with ETFs as well that make it even more advantageous, especially for the way that Dimensional uh, manages money. So, you know, I look at it more like define your, tell me, tell me what you're concerned about, right? If you say, hey, I'm a taxable investor and that's a concern for me, we can manage portfolios in a way that's going to help you address that concern. And then you put those portfolios in the hands of an advisor that says, hey, I can put these vehicles together. I can put these portfolios together. I can think about it on the stock side. I can think about it on the bond side. I can think about what we've got in taxable accounts. I can think what we've got in non-taxable accounts. And you start to get some very powerful financial planning tools that address that concern that everybody's talking about around rising tax rates. And again, I can't do anything about the tax rates, but I can design good portfolios. And then I can put those together in a combination as a financial professional, as an advisor, that's going to address that the best that we can. The last point I'll make around just rising tax rates, because you hear, you know, rising tax rates, oh, I'm concerned as an investor. Companies (laughs) in a capitalist society figure figure out how to make money, right? I mean, that's whatever the tax rates are going to be, they're going to be, but companies are going to figure out how to take make money. And whether you look through different types of tax environments, different types of political environments, the stock market over the long term just keeps going up because people figure out how to make money. And what's the alternative? So I'm going to take my money, I'm going to put it underneath the mattress. Right. I'd rather pay a little bit more in taxes and still make money doing that versus make zero basically in this environment. Right, right. So th- th- that was teeing you up a little bit just to introduce the fact that you guys do have these systematic strategies that use your evidence, your trading sophistication, uh, all of the things that we've talked about in the academic, what the academic research leads you to once it's tested um, in both a mutual fund, institutional mutual fund format, which are already low cost and already tax efficient to potentially a wrapper that's even more tax efficient and potentially even lower cost in the form of exchange traded funds. So I know you guys rolled out uh, some core funds last year. Um, recently, you've converted some tax-managed mutual funds to uh, to these. Um, any uh, so, so, how should investors view? Do I use an ETF versus a mutual fund wrapper? Do you have any thoughts on that judgment call that investor might might make? Yeah, I, I don't really want to get any specifics of the, the like the funds that specific, Correct. but I think that's a good question because we do get that. You know, okay, so. You know, I'm an investor. I I could have a mutual fund. I can have an ETF. I mean, look, there's there's pros and cons to both. Um, I think about it as it's just a wrapper, depending on what your specific needs are going to be. You know, some people may say, well, uh, a mutual fund works better for me for reasons X, Y, and Z, and an ETF works better for here. But the way that we view it at Dimensional is is that. We want to arm financial professionals, advisors, to make the decisions that are ultimately best for the clients. People can have a great investment experience and and stay mutual, and they're going to be awesome because what are you going to get? You're going to get the returns of the underlying stocks and managed in a very smart, intelligent, and evidence-based way that we do here at Dimensional. Okay, well, I could do that same thing inside of an ETF. And like I said, there's going to be situations where an ETF works well. There's going to be situations where a mutual fund works well. But what we want to do at Dimensional is say, we're trying to deliver the investment engine that we think is going to capture returns best and then put that power back in the hands of a financial professional to say, I know my clients. 
I know my investors, I know the situations, and I'm going to use the tools that I need to help them accomplish their financial goals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a lot on the show about um, tax efficient allocation. So, you know, you use, you know, the IRAs and sheltered accounts, you'll stuff the least tax efficient asset classes, as an example, and the more tax efficient asset classes might be in taxable accounts. Uh, and now even in ETFs, which are even more tax efficient. Um, so thank you for the comment on it. Again, in, in your view, it's a it's really a decision for the advisor and the client related to their unique circumstances and, and trade-offs, essentially, and pre- preferences. Um, yeah, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, again, I look at it from a high level and you said, okay, you know, I got to build an allocation with all mutual funds. Great. You can do that and you're going to have a great experience. I got to build an allocation with all the TTFs. Great. You can do that. And I mean, it's, you know, again, there's pros and cons of both and there's some subtle differences. I, I always try to roll things back up to the high level and say, okay, I'm an investor for the next 20 or 30 years. I can, I could do well with both vehicles. Yeah. If, yeah. Yeah. If, if the right types of vehicles, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great, Jake. Thanks again. We, we just went a little deeper guys today. We last, last show, as I mentioned, we talked more about investor questions here. We talked a little deeper on evidence-based investing and Dimensional's view particularly about evidence-based investing. So thank you for that. I, I'll just uh, close here with asking you or any final comments or thoughts or anything you'd like to add uh, about uh, Dimensional or, or how you guys are, are evolving or managing money or anything else that would be of interest, do you think, to the audience? Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing too major. I think that, um, you know, the one thing that you can expect from Dimensional is it's be you know what you're going to get. I mean, we've, we've had the same investment philosophy for 40 plus years. It's a very systematic way. And, and I guess, you know, when I think about dimensional, I think about investing in general, right? There's no guarantees. It's just the way that it works. There's uncertainty. You're just making decisions that put the odds in your favor. And what we try to do every single day is just make tons of little decisions that we think is ultimately going to give investors the best chance of success. Um, and you do that in a systematic way and you do it over and over again every single day. Um, and I think, you know, the evidence speaks for itself and, and hopefully uh, people feel confident that that's going to be a, probably the best way to put money to work. Great. That is terrific, Jake. So thanks again for being on the show and sharing your insights. Um, remind us one more time, how can people find out more about Dimensional and, and how you guys do things? Yeah, you can go to the website, dfaus.com. Uh, check out more information about the company, our history, all of that. And there's a good... Um, little blog on there. I think it's called the Insights blog. And um, check out, read up some on some articles, lots of topical stuff on there. So I think, you know, we talked in the last show about uh, inflation and low yields and all of that and uh, good articles on there. So if you get a chance, uh, go check that out. Terrific. Well, thank you again, Jake, for joining us today. This has been awesome. Thank you, audience, for uh, uh, joining us as well. We've we've enjoyed having a few minutes together and where we delve into, uh, again, both uh, how do we create more meaning and purpose in our life and how do we build the capacity through high-quality wealth management. So we hope you enjoyed the show. Please check us out on iTunes. You can also check us out at tannengrowth.com forward slash perspectives. And um, we'll look forward to visiting next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to The Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. 
Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.